Welcome to Teacher's Lounge. I'm Peter Mudlin. We're a podcast here at WNIJ that tells the stories of education with the help of some of our best educators. The teachers that you hear on this show are all suggested by our wonderful listeners. So if you've got someone that you think that we should talk to, well, email the show at teacherslounge at niu.edu. Today, we are bringing you a great conversation that I had with Amona Quinette Parker. She's the principal at Huntley Middle School in Cal. We had a long talk, covered a lot of ground, and I think that you're really going to like it. Amona Quinette talked about the big lessons that she's learned about education during the pandemic, her perspective as a black educator and mother, as the country has started grappling more with racial inequality and police brutality. There's a social justice saying that says if you're, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Yeah. And I truly know that it is, it is way past time for people in, of color and people that are not of color, that are their allies and advocates to speak up and to address the fact that, well, how do police, um, we're looking at police brutality. It's not a, it's not, it's intertwined with all these other issues. It's intertwined with the way that we discipline a student of color. It's intertwined with the way that we view student of color um, in the education system because there is definitely a, a, a school to prison pipeline. And then we also talked about when her mom was her boss for a few years and more importantly, her love of cheesy romance novels. I told you, we covered a lot of ground. Okay, so the next episode I promise is gonna be just chock full of other news stories and items, but now I just wanna present my conversation with Amona Quinette Parker. Nothing else, no news roundup, no breaks. Just take the dogs for a walk, go for a drive, do the dishes, whatever you need to do, or just sit back, relax, and enjoy. How are you, how are you doing? I'm well, how are you? too bad. It seems to be nice outside, which is a, a relief. Yes, I'm, I'm excited about going outside today. Yes, is that is that one of the ways that you've stayed sane during this whole pandemic thing? Are you a big walker? I, I was not. I was not. But be, uh, as a result of this, I have averaged three miles a day. No way. Congratulations. Yes. That's awesome. And I'm like, wow. I mean, the benefits are really good because I'm fitting into some clothes that I didn't fit into before, but silver linings, um, we love it. We love people it. are gaining weight and I'm like, oh, I'm losing weight because I just I make sure that either in the morning or after I get done with everything, I just take a really long walk. Yeah, I made that joke. It's like the it's like our new American pastime is like yes. walking in, in small blocks around our neighborhood or something. Yes. I've met more of my neighbors than ever. I didn't even know these people existed. Right. I'm like, did it really take a global pandemic to find out that I live in a building with other people? <laughs> it did, apparently. apparently. <laughs> you know, one of the things when I was researching for our interview that I found that I wanted to bring up to you that I think is amazing was I saw you do these like, almost like being at a school year music video type videos I saw on your Facebook. <laughs> I saw you had, you had the In My Feelings one, the, the Drake challenge. I saw yeah. you had the Old Town Road one. Which, yes. so, first of all, I just wanted to say, I loved it. <laughs> and my next thing was like, do you have the song picked out for this next year? And if not, I've got some recommendations. I've you, got some suggestions. You need some recommendations. I actually usually just go to my, uh, I have nieces and nephews that are all the way from a year old all the way up till I think the oldest is 30. So I always go to my nieces and my nephews or my son who's 21. I'm like, hey, what are the kids listening to now? And they'll send it to me, and then I'll see what I can come up with. I was racking my brain this morning. I was like, um, I 
like Savage, the Megan the Stallion song. And I was like Blinding Lights by the Weekend. I was like, those are like the, I'm like, the kids are on TikTok with those ones. Like yeah. that, those seem to be cool. Yeah. I, I don't know when I got to the point where I'm referring to people as the kids now though. So that's, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, I've been doing that for the last decade probably. So. For the last decade. Okay. So probably. Yeah. at a certain point, I just, I, the, the, the disconnect where I'm, I'm no longer cool. I'm no longer one of the kids. It's, I think it's once you pass like 35-ish, they think you're older. You still, you still feel like you're 17, though. I just want you to know. Uh, listen, I feel like I looked like I was 13 until like two years ago. I just woke up and had facial hair, and I don't even know how it happened. <laughs> That's good. Hopefully my son will get that. He's excited about it. He, he doesn't have any facial. It's like scraggly. Oh, okay, yeah, he's got the patchy. Full beard. I'm like, eh, maybe it's coming. Well, the funny part of it with my job is that a lot of times I'll go into schools to like, you know, interview people like you, to interview ministers, mm-hmm. or teachers, and like the amount, it's like one out of every four times where I go in there and they're like, excuse me, can you sign in for homebrew? And I'm like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good problem to have. I don't get that problem anymore. It's funny. I went out uh, well before the COVID happened, and I was out with some someone that. Uh, younger than me and they carded them of course and they didn't even call me like you can at least card me he's and the guy's like okay show me your id (laughs) i was like i used to get carded i don't sometimes i don't even get carded anymore that kind of hurts i'll tell you what i I think that uh it was maybe like a month ago i was at the grocery store with my brother who is like four years older than me and has Mm -hmm. a full beard so he and they carded him and they didn't card me and i was like is the is the mask doing that much for me? <laughs> Apparently. I believe it. I believe it. So yes, I, I was doing that research. I found those songs. I wanted to mention that up to you up top because I was like, I'm a big fan and I want to know what we've got in store. Thank so, you. I'll, I'll, I'm going I'll, to do something wonderful. My students actually have challenged me to do a TikTok, one of those like dance challenges, kind of oh, yeah. like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I am. I wish this was a video medium so they could see that you went for it for a minute there. I am completely um, uncoordinated. I, I joke that I am probably the only black, well, myself and my son, we're the only black people I know that have no rhythm. Oh, like, no. I can't even. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm not like, I took music lessons and they told my mom she was wasting their, her money. They're like, no, she just doesn't have a rhythm. So stop. Oh, yeah, we'll see, because I'm scared about dancing in front of the kids, so. Okay, okay, I get that. See, yeah, music was never, I, I tried to play an instrument when I was a kid, and like, you know, like in, in like fourth and fifth grade, when they have like the first band that you can join in school, yes. and I, the problem was, is they scheduled the clarinet lessons at the same time as gym class. Oh! And so I just faked it, did like air clarinet for two months, and my, my grandmother offered me like a hundred dollars to keep going with it and I was like no I can't again I, I, I will not be bribed that, that happened with my son I went out and actually bought him a guitar and put him in guitar lessons and, and you know I'm just I had this big dream he was going to be like you know I don't know just, just gonna be Jimi Hendrix <laughs> I don't know I, yeah. I wanted him to be like Jimi Hendrix and he just was like mom I have to stop and I'm like well, you know we I used to have this thing or whatever we start we finish so I made him finish like that semester and he has, I, I, I'm positive that that guitar is in my mom's basement somewhere. He probably never touched it after then. Well, maybe now's your chance during quarantine, you know, maybe, maybe this could be when you learn to play the guitar, you know? You know what I've been doing different? So I, I, um, 
I took some sewing classes in high school, and I used to really want to paint. But, you know, I've been painting during quarantine, and I didn't even know I was that good. I'm, like, surprising myself. Like, wow, I have this hidden talent. So I went, I ordered a whole bunch of canvases and tons of paint, and I've actually been painting and hanging them up in my office. Did what kinds of stuff have you been painting? I'm going to show them. I'm going to have to show you some of them. What kinds of stuff do you like to paint? Basically women. Okay. Yeah, I like sexy women. Just I'm impressed that anyone that can draw any figures. <laughs> so, like, I'm already incredibly impressed. Yeah, just different, just different little women's, um, women's scenes and stuff like that. I drew, I drew some kids. I drew some kids. I want to finish painting that, and I want to hang that up in my office at work when I go back. My mom has been sending me stuff, actually, because my mom is an art teacher. Oh, wow. She taught kindergarten for a long time, and then her district, like, kind of just out of nowhere was like, oh, this year it's going to be art and music. She's like, all right, fine. <laughs> and so she's like, over the last, you know, couple months or whatever, has been sending me all her paintings too. And so I'm like, like I said, I can draw a sky all day. I can go abstract, you know, just splatter painting on there. But anyone who can draw anything that resembles a human, like my hat's off. Um, that's unbelievable to me. Yeah, yeah, we're trying. So you're at, uh, at Huntley, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How long now? So this is my... This I'm going into my seventh year, um, but this is this will be my fourth year as a principal, and for three years prior to that, I was the assistant principal. I never taught at Huntley. You never taught at Huntley? No. And you worked as, in special education before yes. that, right? Yes. I was a special education teacher at DeKalb High School from 2007 until 2014, so for seven years. Yeah. And before that, I worked in the city of Chicago from 1999 to 2007. Okay. I'm curious, like... Because I, whenever I interview people that are principals or administrators, I'm always curious about, like, you know, you started off wanting to do a very specific thing as a special ed teacher. And I imagine that that experience is much different than being a middle school, like, teacher. So I'm curious about, like, when you're, you know, I feel like it's a little more in the moment you can see the difference you're making, like, when you're a special ed teacher. And I, like, oh. I'm curious, like, what the, the satisfaction at the end of the day, does it feel different now than it did yeah. then? Very, very different. Very different. I used to, I mean, even like from period one period to another, you got that. You got that kid. I started off my very first assignment. I was doing um, it was a crazy class. I was doing kindergarten, first grade, and second grade mix, and it was all cross. They used to call it cross category, which meant basically means you had all the different lowest incidence and highest incidence disabilities all in the same class when you have an assistant. It was ridiculous. I don't, and, but you could like literally get a, a, like an achievement or a high after 30 minutes because you got this nonverbal kid to say a word. Yeah. But now it's, it, you know, you don't usually get that that often, but um, it's more so for me when teachers come and report that they have that experience. And I'm like, oh, that's wonderful. It's like, oh, guess what? We got so-and-so to sit you know, in the whole class period today. So it's more so like that. And then I, I um, discipline as well. I get to see the discipline achievement much more than like I would have seen at the grade, at the, uh, like you know, at the teacher level. Right. I think it's fascinating because it's like, you know, when, like you said, we've got that like super instant gratification when you're in there. And I think that people sometimes in their head, when they picture like what a principal does, they picture like you know, like those in movies, you'll see like a general and they have like the table and they're like moving chess pieces around. Like, I feel like that's what people think that your job is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. But that's a small part of it. Yeah. And so you were in Chicago for the beginning of your career. Mm -hmm. Did you grow up there? Are you from that area? Yes. So I, I actually grew up on 
the west side of Chicago, the border between Oak Park and Chicago. I always went to school in Oak Park because I went to parochial school. Yeah. Um, and then I went to school in River Forest. It was an all-girl Catholic school called Trinity. And then, but we resided right on the, this is Austin. So we resided on this side of Austin and then this side was like the suburbs. So I tell people like, I grew up in Chicago, um, but my mom, a lot of my experiences were, were more suburban experiences. Interesting. Because I was going to ask you about like making that transition from Chicago public schools over somewhere like DeKalb, like what yeah. that transition was like. Do you think that it was a little smoother because you had that like suburban influence or like uh, you could experience? Probably. I, I really do think that the, especially the parochial education really prepared me for some of the things I, I, I you know, that I saw when I came to um, DeKalb. But it was definitely a trend. It was a transition. I remember coming to so when I started teaching, I was hired out here to be the target teacher, which uh, I don't know if you know what target is. It's, it's for the students that receive emotion disabled services. Yeah. So basically, it's the kids that either are coming back in from an alternative setting or they're on their way out the door. So I don't like to use the word bad kids, but they're like the baddest kids in the building. Sure. But even with those kids, I remember when I first started working, they would, I was like, what? Is this it? I just came from Manly High School where we had to like shut down, no lie. We shut down the homecoming game because it was a huge brawl and one of the coaches got knocked out with one of the helmets. I'm like, you're upset because this boy is cursing? I can handle him cursing. <laughs> no, it was, yeah, it was a difference. Was it hard to make the decision to, to leave Chicago? No, it was one of the easiest and best decisions I ever made in my life. At the time, I actually was working, I was working a really, really, really great, satisfying job. Um, I had actually just won this really prestigious award, and I was so excited about this award that my principal at the time was going was trying to give me like a different promotion. And back in Chicago, they let you make tons of money, even though you don't really have the degree sometimes. <laughs> so I did not have an admin degree, but they were letting me head up this whole book program, and they were paying me like it was a lot of money. I was making like an additional like thirty thousand dollars a year. But my son and I, my son and my son's dad, my son and his dad, uh, we split and he was moving to another state. And I knew that that was going to be really impactful on my son. So I had sat down that summer and really had a conversation um, with my mother about um, keeping my town home or what I needed to do. And she said, I think you need to find a job closer. And so I actually made the decision to move to DeKalb because I was commuting for seven years from DeKalb to Chicago to work. I never regretted doing it. I ended up taking a $42,000 pay cut. But I can tell you that it was the best decision that I've ever made in my career. Was the best $42,000 pay cut you've ever taken? It, it was the best. And I would do it if, it, if I had to take an $82,000 pay cut, I would have because um, I just, I really wouldn't have been able to raise my kid if I hadn't done it. Yeah, I think it's fascinating where, you know, in any career, I feel like your relationship to it changes as you get older and as you have different experiences. But I think specifically with teaching, it's different because you're, you know, directly working with kids all the time. And I'm curious, like, how your approach to education and your perspective on it shifts, like, when you become a mother. It does. Oh, yeah, it does. Definitely. No question. Sometimes with educators, it's in the role of an administrator. Sometimes with educators, I have to remember that. And you have to almost ask them, like, do you have any children at home? And it was recently, especially with this pandemic, 
do you know that 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 piece that was a huge piece for a lot of parents working from home when they had their little children at home you know because they got a chance to see wow I'm I'm looking at this person I'm looking at this material and now I have to teach it it actually softened some of the educators you know towards their colleagues yeah I could definitely see that how was the pandemic e-learning experience for you I imagine that's pretty much over at this point obviously there's some summer stuff going on but did you do you were you able to take anything away from it where you're like okay well at least we learned this that we can use for later on or don't sweat the small stuff I mean I think that's the number one thing that we learned at Huntley Middle School all of us there were some things that we were just so pious we had a pious attitude towards like oh we cannot do without yada 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 you know we're scholars you know so in our mind our content is like the most important thing in the world but when we realized um so out of 867 kids we only had 10 kids that never logged on at all that's that's really good yeah but there were some children who literally could not log on and it was everything from um we had a family whose uh, grandfather was in the home and had COVID, and he was in the home, and that was weighing on that student. Um, we had a, 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 a situation where we had several kids who had to leave their home because their parents were still essential workers, and they had to go to other people's homes for weeks at a time that didn't have internet access. Like they had to go stay with a grandmama, and the yeah. grandma didn't have internet and didn't know how to help them with their homework because... You know, I'm 80, and I don't know how to do sixth grade homework. Um, but they have to stay with me because my, my daughter has to work. So it was just so many cases that we realized, like, wow, the things that we thought were so important, it's more important just to check in and say, are you okay? You know, how are you doing? Yeah, I think I've heard that a lot of people, for it, it opens up that empathy because it's like we're all on the same exact footing, on the same playing field of, like, everyone's stuck at home. Everyone's going through – it's like – we never get to have a shared experience that's like quite like that. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like it is easy to relate to everyone and be like, hey, are you good? Like just mm-hmm. on a really fundamental, not even like teacher to student level, but just like a human to human level. Are you yeah. all right? Yes, exactly. But it was, it was tough. I think it was, I was extremely surprised by the data that uh, most of our kids did attend to their work. Even if they, you know, chose, we had some kids who chose like, I'm not doing any math but I will do everything else. <laughs> um, I feel like I probably understand that option, yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm just really surprised by the humanness that was shown through this process. I'm surprised by how kids did wonderful things. Like they started texting or going on social media, telling each other like, hey, Mr. Barwegan said no one did his homework. Get, get Do his homework, please. And then, like, other kids were doing homework because kids told them to do the homework. It was actually pretty amazing. That is, having each other's back. But with all that being said, probably cannot wait to actually get back when it's... Absolutely not. I am a true extrovert. Like, true. Oh, me too. As you can see. This personally has been uh, very, very difficult. I did not know. I, I was telling my fiance. I've been moping around for a few days and he's like, what's wrong? And he's like, are you depressed? I was like, don't say the D word. And he was like, you're coming off like you're depressed. I was like, I, I think I get energy from being around people yeah. that I chose this profession. Like I was intentional about choosing to be around children all the time. 
even in my volunteer, I volunteer at church. You know, I have led, I led the, the Christian education program for many years. I led the teen ministry for many years. In my other volunteer, I go to summer camp every year, which is canceled this year as well. And like literally, I don't have my teen church. I don't have my church. Summer camp, I, I don't have my kids. I am like, <laughs> I, I feel, I feel you. And honestly, like I, I think it's been really like helpful for my own mental health to be like, I need to vocalize how much it sucks. You know, like every yeah. like once a day, I need to look at someone. And luckily, I have a roommate. I have my brother actually lives with me, and I yeah. just like. I just need you to know that this sucks and I hate it. <laughs> and my fiance is the exact opposite. So he is like, oh, I just love this. Well, he was career military. So he was on military base the majority of for the last 26 years. So he's like, oh, I love this. I love the fact that people don't got to get close to me. And I'm like, I miss hugging people. You mentioned your um, being an extrovert. You've always, you were intentional in choosing your profession. I saw too in my research, your mom was a teacher too, right? Yes, yes. My mom did uh, almost 40 years in Chicago public school system. She was a teacher, a special education teacher, um, and um, she did some admin work for about 11 years um, as well. Was she the same way? Is she an extrovert? No, she's not. Huh. She's not. She's not. <laughs> she is not. Uh, she, you know, she, she was good at what she did because she loved children. But um, no, she's not. And you know what? She is. She is perfectly content staying at home watching reruns of Perry Mason. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> the MeTV Perry Mason reruns are getting a lot of eyeballs these days. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, I'm sure my my mother is is watching a lot of All in the Family somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah. is that is your mom being a teacher? Or is that where you got the the inspiration to do it from? Is that where you kind of uh, wanted to do it because yeah. of her? Definitely. Absolutely. So I was going to be a lawyer. I was studying for the LSATs and um, I, my mother, like she always voluntold me what to do. So she voluntold me to come to her school. <laughs> That's a great and term. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> she's like, oh, my daughter, she's in college. She'll come help. And uh, I remember she called me. She's like, hey, I told my principal you're going to come. You're going to help me with this English lesson. And she was teaching the students. Um, they were doing, she had seniors, and they were going juniors. And they were doing Othello. And she said, I know you can break down this Shakespeare. You're so smart. You know, parents always think you're smarter than you are. And uh, she's like, I want you to, to create a character analysis for Othello. And I want you to, like, present this lesson to my kids. I'm like, all right, whatever. And man, I mean, I remember going into her classroom and doing the, she had like three classes of the, you know, three of the same classes. And by the third class, I was like, oh my God, this is like awesome. I am teaching these kids. And mind you, I was like, what, 19, 18, 19. And um, I remember going to her and I was like, mom, I, I think I want to be a teacher. She was like, no, be a lawyer. <laughs> Why did she say that? Just because, you know, lawyers are, you know. <laughs> uh, I think this is probably the prestige. She just wanted, you know, wanted to be able to say one of her kids are a lawyer. You know how parents are. Oh, my God, it's a lawyer. I know. It sounds, it's very impressive. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's impressive. And so yeah. I was like, okay. So then the next summer, I got a job um, at the same school tutoring. Like some, you know, she got, she helped me get a job tutoring in the summertime. And I came back to her like, mom, I, I want to be a teacher. I want to change my major. And she's like, okay. 
And I was like, well, what's the, well, how, why would you say that now? And she was like, I just, I just knew it was coming. I was trying to, you know, persuade you not to do it, but I knew you were going to do it anyway. I've been knowing since you were real little that you were going to be a teacher, but I was trying my best to like keep you from being a teacher because it's hard. And, um, and then I just, I switched my major. She said, she, her she said she was trying to keep you from being a teacher. Mm-hmm. Because she want, I, my mother felt that being a teacher was very difficult. She felt like it was one of the thankless professions. I wish I can see now with teacher teachers are like middle middle management. You know, you have to do what the administration tell you to do, um, but you're still expected to have this phenomenal product. And sometimes you're not giving not giving the best tools to work with. Yeah, I mean, studying for the LSATs, you made it pretty far into like. I'm oh yeah, oh yeah. I wanted to do it. That that was my, I was going to be a corporate lawyer. Corporate lawyer. Ooh, I was going to live in New York. I was never going to have any children. I was going to be a jet setter, have like a lot of boyfriends, never get married. Mm. Oh man, the jet setting lawyer lifestyle. <laughs> man, there's still time. You can stay. <laughs> I am not interested no more. <laughs> that could be your. That could be your second half. That could be your. <laughs> Ew, I don't have the energy. <laughs> I love the Othello thing too. Like that's like the most mom story ever. Is like, have you? Uh, like, I'm sure you had never expressed interest in Othello before, and she was like, never. "Who could do that?" She's like, "My daughter's got it. She's fine." I'm sure she could handle that. And I had never read Othello. And I remember literally, I was like, Mom, I'm gonna have to read, I'm gonna buy the clip notes. She's like, Don't buy the clip notes, you read quick. Buy the get the book. <laughs> I would say I've never read Othello, but I can imagine it is not short. I can imagine it was not short, and not I but I did read it because I wanted to make sure that I was ready for the kids. Yeah. And by the third class, you had the light bulb had turned on and you were ready. Oh yeah. I I, I will tell you the what I, I'm gonna talk way too much but um listen I, I i listen to my own the sound of my own voice for a living like i you yeah. stop me from talking so this is perfect so she had this so she had a lot of boys she told me one of the classes so i differentiated and at the time we didn't even know what that i didn't know what that word meant <laughs> and my mom told me she's like i knew you were a special education teacher when you did that i was like well tell me about each class and she's like well one class is like only one girl and the rest are boys and i was like oh my god and so i did a comic strip where I had them, um, they had to break down what the characters were saying to each other with like comic strips, little blurbs. And so they were able to create their own comic strip to show the relationship between like two different, uh, two, two, of, two of the characters. And I remember my mom was like, wow, what made you think of that? I was like, oh, I just came up with it. You told me you had boys, I don't know boys. You know, not, not kind of, well, it was a generalization that they like comment. And they, I mean, they loved it. She was like, I have never seen those kids. Like the next day, um, my mother continued the process and she was like, do you know I had kids that usually ditch come to my class? <laughs> and so that's what she told me. She's like, I just, I knew you were going to be a special education teacher because you knew to like tailor the lesson to the kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's was she fun. special ed, was she a special ed teacher too or no? Yes, she was. She was. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But 40, 40 plus years is, that is. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, almost right. It was like, it was like 39.5. And so you guys were, for a little bit overlapping, right? You guys are both in Chicago. Yes. For a while. yes. Actually, my mom was my boss for five years. Oh, how was that? Was that? <laughs> I can't even imagine. <laughs> um, she was a great boss. She was very, very respected. She was, my mother doesn't have a warm personality. Um, so she, gets it done. She, was very, she was respected because she, this is what you're going to do. And, um, she got the job done. She she always received accolades from the district level because she made sure that the job was done. I think that um, a lot of people did not know we were mother and daughter because we just didn't share that. She had a staff at the time. She was over our department of 
20, I think it was like 28 people. So um, we kind of hid the fact that we were a mom and daughter, but um, she made me do everybody. She made me do other people's work. So that was the worst part. So she would come to me and be like, listen, Mrs. So-and-so did not do this IEP right. Redo her IEP. When so I down the it, hall, they need someone to analyze a fellow. We need you back in there. <laughs> yes. So like, yeah, so that was, that was the, it was great because I, to this day, I, I carry some of the leadership um, things that she, that I saw her display. Um, but then I also know that there were some things that she did that I, I can't really talk to people the way that my mom, remember this is years ago, you administrators just be able to kind of like yell at people and talk to people. You, we don't do that no more. <laughs> it's kind of fascinating though, because it's like, I remember when I was a kid, like going into like where my dad worked and you know, you, you, you know, your dad, and then you go in to see him in this completely different environment. He's got like a uniform on, people are calling him Tim and you're like, what, what is going on? But like being able to see that different side of your parent, it's got to be really yeah. illuminating. Oh, it was, it was, it was, it was very crazy. Especially like my mom was one who she was a le- letter of the law. Let, like, well, that's illegal. We're not doing that, you know. And I remember one of the teachers wanted to kind of skirt the law, and he was t- he was complaining to me that Miss Parker wouldn't let him go. He's like, who would ever find out? And da 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 da. He was so he's like, I can't. And Miss Parker, do you like her? And I was like, <laughs> he's like, she act, she always act like we gotta do it. I was like, well, you know, at the end of the day, she's gonna be in trouble if we don't do it that way. Did you tell her? Um, I did. I, I after like she had been complaining for like three months, and then finally I was like, I never forget. I was like, Chris, you do know that's my mom. <laughs> Un- unbelievable card to pull on someone. <laughs> Oh, one of the things I wanted to ask about, I wanted to get your take on, um, to la- actually it was the last episode. One of the things I talked to him about was, you know, about basically his perspective on, on being a black educator. Mm-hmm. And especially, you know, during this moment that we're having right now and, and mm-hmm. all the protesting and everything mm-hmm. like that. And mm-hmm. so I guess, I, and I guess one of his th- things that he was saying was about how, you know, obviously we're not just talking about policing, we're talking about systematic inequality and, and everything. And that includes education. And mm-hmm. it's about like trying to get to the root of some of those things. So I'm curious, over the past few weeks, have you been thinking about unearthing and confronting some of those inequalities, you know, within education? Absolutely. I, I, um, I truly believe that nothing happens by coincidence, that the universe puts you in positions when you need to be in that position. And one of the reasons why I went into administration is because um, a former administrator of mine, Dr. Flanagan, told me, you know, she was teasing me. I was young. And she's like, Parker, you need to be an administrator because you just want to change the world. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great compliment. (laughs) Because I used to advocate, you know, for my population. I was one that, like, I would just like, hold up, wait a minute, my babies, not, you know, you got to do this or that. And I always thought about, you know, how things would impact them. And so I, I believe that for such a time as this, for such a time as this, the sphere of influence is there, especially for people of color that are in leadership positions. And um, honestly, uh, Peter, you know what I had to do? I had to like go numb for a few days when this happened. Um, being a mother of a, of, a, of a black young man who serves in the military, he is a member of the National Guard, he is a good kid, uh, young man. He's 21. I, it's like, you know, he's 21. He's not a kid. But, he's son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but um, having had some recent situations where he had to call me or like on FaceTime, just being stopped out, out by Sandwich, Illinois, and having the police officer, you know, like kind of yelling like, you know, get off the phone. What are you doing? And I'm like, hey, 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 wait, this is mom. Let me identify myself. I'm on the phone with him. You know, I, I, I serve this community as the, I was one of the police and fire commissioners in DeKalb for like a little bit under three years. And I, I, I literally start using some of the things I know that I should say to the officer. Like, you know, hey, he's, he's a kid. I mean, keep your hands visible. And in that moment, just like, here he is a member of the National Guard. Here he is an upstanding citizen. You know, he doesn't have any felonies, you know, don't have any. There were just, I was just like, oh, my God. And so I had to, first of all, kind of, I, I, don't, I can't explain it. I had to come to terms and some, some reckoning in myself. Yeah. Um, and I do truly feel like there's a social, social justice saying that says if you're, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Yeah. And I truly know that it is, it is way past time for people in, of color and people that are not of color, that are their allies and advocates to speak up and to address the fact that, well, how do police um, we're looking at police brutality. It's not a. It's not. It's intertwined with all these other issues. It's intertwined with the way that we discipline a student of color. It's intertwined with the way that we view student of color um, in the education system because there is definitely a, a, a school to prison pipeline. Um, it also has made me question even some administrative decisions that I have made over the last six years with with a, a particular student or two. Really? So did I contribute to this student? I actually had an opportunity to see a student um, who uh, she was put out of the school. At the time, I was not the administrator, but she was put out of the school. She went to alternative school in her seventh grade year. This young lady is now an adult, married with a child, and I saw her at a family member's birthday party, and she sat down and said, hey, can I talk to you? As an administrator at Huntley, when I was at Huntley in seventh grade, this happened. I wasn't even there. And she tells me, you know what she told me? She said, can I tell you putting me in that alternative school ruined my life? And then she continues to talk to me about why it ruined her life and how she is just digging herself out of the pit. You know, she's back in school. She's determined to be an RN. But even her husband said, yeah, she talks all the time about how she feels dumb as a box of rocks compared to people her age and the things that she shared with me, how that discipline affected her, yeah. it made me question, like, oh, my God, what have we done? Right. When I say we, I mean the school system, public education. Yeah, yeah. and like you said, it, it makes you confront and have to make sure that this is the time that people can have conversations about this. As we're having a national discussion about racial inequality, of where that is in education and then discipline and I mean just looking at the education system writ large two percent of teachers are black men and even you know if you're just looking at black people in general like there are more black educators than there were 20 years ago but if you look at it from a percentage wise it's actually less you know it's, it's less of a share of the whole even than it was but but we think you know you would you would think that like you know, we've, we've opened up more diversity. That's something we care about. But in reality, if you look at it in its totality, we actually haven't made that much progress at all. We haven't. 
We haven't. And then we look at just, just I look, I'll just look at the district I work in. Um, when I came to DeKalb High School, it was myself and one other black teacher. That black teacher left. And for three years, I was the only black teacher at DeKalb High School. Yeah. Um, and that was a very, it happens. Today, I sat in a Zoom meeting where we talked about how do we, what is the reintegration plan going to look like? We had to bring up the fact that, that it's not just about COVID and students being fearful. It's not just about the poverty pandemic because parents have lost their jobs. It's not just about um, the disconnect from actual physical school because of us being out of school for 10 weeks. We now have to add the national racial tension. I was the only person of color on that huge Zoom meeting. Right. So then as the only person of color, I, I bear an unfair weight yeah. to be the one to advocate and say, hey, you know what? Don't forget, we have to have this conversation. We have to prepare. Because 16% of Huntley Middle School, I guarantee you, even in, even if in just in conversation with their parents or their grandparents or whoever, it's going to be on their mind. And therefore, it's, it, it is now a traumatic experience for them. And not just the black kids. I, I'm going to raise that up to over 16% because definitely, I know a lot of my students that are not uh, that that do not identify as being a person of color. They are having some of the same fears. Right, and like you said about often being the only black teacher in the room or in a meeting, that is an unfair burden, and it, it's something that you know colleagues and everyone else in education that's that's not black, that's not a person of color, like that's when the people have to step up. They have to get educated about these and and have their own discussions, and obviously, you know, talk to teachers of color actually talk to black teachers and know what they're talking about when they're leading those discussions, but it is a weight. It is a burden to have to, to bear. That's, that's shouldn't be yours alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I want to take a sharp 180. I want to cause there's one thing that I want. I wanted to make sure to get to this because when I was digging through my research, trying to find things, I saw that you were a fan of quotes, cheesy romance novels. And I'm like, yeah! I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to, what a an incredible left turn for the conversation we were having, but I'm like, I have to, I have to ask you about this because it was like, it was like a tiny sentence in the middle of a huge article about you, and I was like, well, I wonder why they mentioned that. Like, this has to be a passion of hers for them to throw that in there. Yeah, my perfect. So next week I'm going to take some time off work, and um, I have already chosen. I have a library downstairs, and I have a full section dedicated to. Um, romance novel, literally an entire shelf, like bookcase, rather, nothing but romance. How novel. cheesy are we talking? Are we talking like book cover where like it's a oh, mess yeah. with like a six oh, yeah. and a cup in that? No I'm shirt club. Like no where did my club. shirt go? I, if, the, if the front cover is like, where did my shirt go? That is, that's the book I want to read. I, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. I worked when I was in high school and through community college, I worked at Goodwill. Mm -hmm. And we used to have like a bet of like how many romance novels we could find with the, sh you know, the no shirt club, no shirt club with a cowboy hat, bandana. I'll take any kind of hat with it as long as they don't have a shirt. <laughs> My favorite are the ones that have like the Dukes and the Earls, like set in the Victorian period. Because yeah. I'm a history buff as well. I actually, um, that was one of, that was my minor history. So I love anything that during like the American Revolutionary period or even like, you know, just I, just I just love it. Like, especially if they throw some little history stuff in there, then I'm like, oh yeah, just, I try to relate it to what I know. So I keep one by my bed and I always keep one. I have a rocking chair in the basement. I always keep one 
in the rocking chair. So I'm reading three books simultaneously right now. And I also, I, I'm also reading, um, I'm reading um, Lead Like a Pirate. So I, I also have a professional book that I'm reading as well. But man, those romance novels, that is, I am so looking forward to next week. I am going to um, sit on a swing. I'm going to swing for two days and read for two yeah. days. Don't literally, don't, don't call me. Don't talk to me. I'm not going to text. I'm not going to email. I hope this round of applause comes through on the microphone right now. because That sounds, <laughs> that sounds incredible. I, and plus, you know, you have to say that lots of people listening, I'm sure, are trying to, you know, get book recommendations for the, you know, this summer when they're still locked in the house here. So yeah. if you've got any romance novels that you're like, they, these people need to check out, like, we've got a platform here for you. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, I'll, so I'll just, I like Eric, Eric Jerome Dickey. He's one of my favorite. Some of the other ones are a little uh, racy, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we can keep that one for the swing. We can keep Yes, that yes, for- yes. Well, that was, that was pretty much the main things I wanted to talk about. So thank you again, like a ton for, for taking an hour or so and having a conversation. It was awesome. We're both people that love to talk. Yes, absolutely. That. I love to talk. It's one of my favorite things to do. I miss it. Uh, I do enjoy, I did not think I would enjoy virtual meetings as much um, because it's, I still like to see people's facial expression and email. You can move so much in emails. Um, but man, I can't wait till this world open back up because I'm just going to go and talk to people all day, every day. <laughs> Look forward to it. Thank you so much, Peter. This was such a joy. I appreciate you. Thank Enjoy you the swing. Time. Enjoy the books. It's going to be great. Take some time off for yourself. I will. Thank you. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. How else do you think we get such cool people like Amonokuna? You have to send them our way. And along with that, send your suggestions for topics that we should be covering on this show. The email, again, is teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing our podcast, uh, like it, rate it, subscribe to it, share it, whatever you can do, um, do it. Because it's how we also get more listeners. So, therefore, that's how we get more cool people like Emoticonet, like I said. And a thank you, of course, to Emoticonet Parker for being on this week's show. I hope she had the best time sitting on that swing with their books and a thank you to the northern illinois area band kind ofs for the awesome music that you hear in every single episode of this show kind ofs is spelled like nice and sweet bird like kind doves k-i-n-d-o-v-e-s and you can find more of their music on their soundcloud and they also were on an episode of sessions from studio a i'm sure if you're a fan of teacher's lounge you're a fan of that show so check that out More thanks to Spencer Tritt from Sessions from Studio A for creating our wonderful Teacher's Lounge logo. You can find that when you go to our post for the episode, which I'm sure you're going to do. The website is wnij.org, which is where you can also hear every episode of the show. I've been your host, Peter Mudlin, and we will be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon.